There are no two words in the English language. Here we go again. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. I sound just like him. Super intimidating. Okay. There are no two words in the English language. Oh my gosh. Engli- English. There are no two English words. English language. Blah. There are no two words in the Purple English. burglar alarm. Oh my gosh. That's really hard. There are no two words in the English language. Wow. Okay. Let's let's try this. Let's see. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. I did it. <laughs> good job. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. In this case, a lot of tension. Uh, We celebrate (laughs) the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Okay, we are back for another week. Um, I didn't realize until watching Whiplash that this is two weeks in a row that we're dealing with uh, protagonists that are (laughs) being mentored by very abusive uh, people. (laughs) So that's fun. Literally one of the uh, reviews on Letterboxd that I saw that I really appreciated was this is basically the male version of the Devil Wears Prada. Uh, Yeah, it kind of is. Um, I don't know why I didn't make that connection when we were initially choosing these films, but definitely mm-hmm. thought of that while watching this movie. And we um, can discuss the, the differing ways that the protagonists respond to this mentorship. Indeed. Um, yes. Okay. But before we get into Whiplash, let's go ahead and just uh, talk a little bit about uh, anything that we've been watching this week. So you go ahead and start us off, Geneva. Yeah, sounds good. Um, <clears throat> the only... Um, uh, actually move actual movie that I've seen since the last time we recorded is a movie that I really, really enjoyed. I've been wanting to see for a long time. It's called The Right Stuff from the early 80s. And it is about the um, recruitment and training and early missions of the Mercury 7 astronauts. So pre-Apollo program, pre-going to the moon, this is uh, John Glenn and Gus Grissom and... Um, yeah, you know, all the other astronauts who were um, doing the first manned um, space flights that the United States was doing in the sort of early days of the um, rivalry with Russia. And it's contrasting them against the um, sort of waning interest that America has in test pilots and building planes that can go further, faster, higher, um, as people are kind of breaking away from the Earth and looking toward the 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 stars basically and this is just a really really good movie this is just absolutely solid crowd-pleasing incredible filmmaking it is it's a long movie it's about three hours long but it goes by so fast it is so well paced all of the actors are really fun and interesting and likable um there are moments where you cheer there are um moments where you're moved um there are so many really interesting moments that it where it will juxtapose two sort of scenes or ideas against each other which i found really fascinating you know there will be maybe um 
you know, there's a scene where someone is taking a, a first, uh, a test flight of a plane, and then that's juxtaposed against another person or set of people watching a show. And, um, just the, the, the distinction between the, um, the artistic performance that's happening along with the, um, the pilot who's, uh, flying this plane and is, um, in peril of their life and is going so fast, faster than anyone's ever seen. It just creates this really interesting sort of visual ideas. And, um, it really just opens up this movie. So it, you know, it's a lot of characters. It's a lot of, um, years that it covers. It's a lot of events. And it's, it's this really epic scope that it's covering. Um, but at the same time, the director really does a great job of making everyone seem very real. Um, you know, it's not sort of creating this sort of elevated, I don't know, um, idealized, I guess, version of these astronauts. Um, they are still human beings who are flawed and they have foibles and they have, um, they fight with each other and their pride gets in the way sometimes, but, um, you still are interested in their story and really want to see them succeed. So yeah, just really, really good, um, enjoyable movie that I would recommend. And what year is it? 1983 is when ah, the movie was made. Okay. Yeah. Taking place in, um, spanning, I mean, basically like from the end of World War II through, I guess, the early sixties. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, anything else or, or just that for now? The only other thing is, um, I so I enjoy the show The Great, <laughs> which is a, a show on Hulu, and they just dropped the third season on Hulu. So I've been watching through that. I'm only a few episodes in, but um, The Great continues to be great. All the performances <laughs> are really good. <laughs> the writing's as strong as ever. I'm very interested to see where they're going to go with this season. They make a, a very bold storytelling choice early on. Um, and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going to go because I've heard a few hints of other unexpected choices that are going to be happen later in the season. Um, don't know everything, don't want to spoil, certainly don't want to spoil any, everything, but I'm very intrigued because the writers are very, very talented. So yeah, it's a really, really good show. Yeah, I've I've been a bit overwhelmed this week because I was not aware that so many shows that I watch were all going <laughs> to drop in the same week. I um I don't even know what happened, but I think it was just I started going through I looked at Netflix or or Hulu or whatever for the first time and in, in a while and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, within one week Queer Eye has dropped." The Great has dropped. The new season of Documentary Now is finally on Netflix. Ooh. And I was like, okay, so three of my favorite shows just dropped entire seasons. So I'm supposed to watch all of those while also staying updated with Succession and Marvelous <laughs> Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's just so much television much I'm trying to TV. keep up with right now. So I I have not started The Great yet. Um, so just, I guess, to kind of transition into what I've been watching, um, I have been binging Queer Eye. I absolutely love Queer Eye. Um, they had, I think it, oh gosh, I think it was two seasons ago. I was kind of a little bit nervous of, oh no, is the show kind of running out of steam? Is it losing its special spark? But no, this season is, oh, it's, it's very, very good. Um, I, within the first two episodes, I think I openly sobbed about four times. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I just love 
the Fab Five's energy and what they do to just bring light and love mm. and joy into the world and healing. Um, they're awesome. So Queer Eye, I, genu- I genuinely feel like is a show for people who are really interested in, in anything. Um, it's just very wholesome and uh, it's great. So that's I, it on Netflix, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, the, uh, the American version, which is what this is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where the British one exists, but um yeah it's great highly recommend uh queer eyes fantastic and then i you know have been staying up to date with succession and marvelous mrs Maisel. um succession killing it continuously getting better (laughs) i am at the edge of my seat as far as where it's going i have no idea but i'm super pumped can you Uh, tell me where are we in the succession succession season how many episodes will there be what are we on right now I, well, by the time this episode of our podcast is released, I think eight episodes will have been released. Okay. Um, so we're really nearing the end. So it's 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 crazy. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, man, he's just he's killing it. He's so he's good. Great. When is he bad? He's he's always he, great. It's just him. This particular character is so different for him. He mm. anyway. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to go on and on about Succession. Uh, I highly recommend people watch it. It's very good. This final season is just amazing. Uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel continues to lose traction, in my mm. opinion. Um, yeah. Not not excited at all about where this show is going, but, uh, you know, it's mm. fine. I, although yeah. I will say, in the most recent episode of Marvelous Mrs. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she did actually receive a rejection for the first time in a long time. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, there's not someone falling over her and thinking she's the best person ever just bit- because she's a hot woman who walks in a room. Uh-huh. It was very refreshing. And that was not the response that I think they were intended the audience to have, which I think is one sign of issues with the writing. I am pleased that she was rejected. That makes me very happy. <laughs> Although I feel like that's not going to last long. This person's probably going to pivot in the next episode mm. and just say, oh, man, look at what I missed out on. I blah, blah. Anyway, um, yes. And then lastly, I am. I know it sounds ridiculous. Everyone's like, oh, it's been a while. But uh, I'm still recovering from work. I've been very busy and just like exhausted. So I've been trying to watch kind of comfort things which is why Queer Eye is totally what I need right now. But I also have been binging Hannah Montana. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I, Hannah Montana is a freaking good show. Like, I I don't care who makes fun of me for that. It's a good show. I've got nostalgia with it. Uh, it takes me back to the good old days. Um, and it's not, it's not cringe most of the times. Uh, sometimes it is cringe, I will admit. But a lot of kids' shows are just 90% cringe. I feel like Hannah Montana is about 40% cringe, which is pretty (laughs) pretty good good ratio for Disney Channel. Yeah, especially a Disney Channel show that came (laughs) out like 15 years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, But anyway, yeah. You are the world's biggest Miley Cyrus fan, so. Um, I I don't even know if I can (laughs) call myself a fan. I think I'm just so invested at this point Mm -hmm. that even if I'm upset with her behavior... I can't disconnect. So, uh, yeah, her most recent album was interesting. Hmm. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to go on a Miley Cyrus rant. <laughs> uh, yes, I am very up to date with pretty much anything and everything she does ever. But for some reason, I don't feel comfortable calling myself a fan because it's more of an obsession 
and mm-hmm. an inability to move on than it is like a <laughs> fanatic sort of just a, I'm obsessed a with everything deep that you appreciation do. for her talent and... I don't even know if it's <laughs> I don't know what it is it's like a <laughs> it's like a dependent relationship that should have ended a long time ago but she like she doesn't want me to stick around but I don't I don't know anyway she is very <laughs> okay. talented though she's extremely talented yeah she uh, is a very talented vocalist yeah yes um, um there's one other thing that I thought of while you were speaking of actually yeah. that I really wanted to tell you about which is that so I I told you my brother and I have been watching Twin Peaks together yes never seen Twin Peaks. did you finish we season two finished season <gasps> two yes did you love what the finale? an incredible ending oh it's so good i shrieked at that oh. last shot oh my i said gosh. how is this the end yeah uh, and then my brother explained to me that there's a movie and there's a, yes. a sequel series which the two of us will watch um as well so i'm very excited to see more but yes oh, that ending was incredible oh yes so unexpected so many things elucidated but so many things left unresolved just yes so many things left unresolved which actually i wanted to ask i think i asked him and he wasn't 100 percent sure was this show always intended to only be two seasons was it canceled unexpectedly the first time around i mean i i i think was the hope that there would be another season to wrap up some of these other storylines or not david lynch just i'm i'm trying to think them. because i know I, as i said on the podcast a while back i know that it was a situation where david lynch left for a while mm-hmm. i think it was i i'm sure someone will know the fact of this and will say that i'm wrong and i'm willing to own that i'm wrong but i feel like from my memory it was a situation where he left and then he wasn't happy with where the show was going so he was like, all right, I'm going to come in and shut this down. Like, I'm going to close this up. So I don't okay. think it was something where the network was like, we're ending this. You're not making mm-hmm. us enough money. And I also don't think it was something where it was like, we plan to end at two seasons. I think it was okay. kind of just they saw where it was going. And David Lynch just said, all right. Okay. Th- I'm this curious. Is yeah. I was very curious about his relationship to it because, I mean, he's on the show. He's a recurring mm-hmm. character in the second oh, yeah. half which is delightful yes. i love his character yes so much. he's great um, he comes back in uh twin peaks the the return oh good good yeah. good yeah yeah for me the second season um is very much i really liked everything leading up to very significant event that i won't spoil but wrapping up the primary 20 year spoiler one <laughs> <laughs> Then after that, there's a bunch of episodes that are just kind of spinning wheels that I wasn't crazy about. But then toward the end, the last probably six or so episodes, I think, really gets back on track. And I really, really enjoyed those yeah. last few episodes. And then the finale is wonderful. Yeah. Um, those last two episodes, man. Oof. So good. So good. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, that TV show jump-started my obsession with David Lynch. That was the first thing that I saw. And then after I finished Twin Peaks, those last two episodes left such a strong impression on me that I just was like, I have to watch everything that he's made because (laughs) I was so blown away by the incredible just creativity and artistry and originality that was Mm -hmm. expressed in those last two episodes. And also his, I don't know, his like, his the the audacity of him to just say this is how we're going to end it it's like oh mm-hmm. what like, <laughs> audacity i'm so is content really with how you it. chose to end this but i'm also really upset at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah. But then, you know, but then you have Fire Walk With Me and, and The Return, mm-hmm. which I have very mixed feelings about The Return. Uh, very mixed feelings. There's some moments where I just think it's absolutely incredible. But then a lot of it, I'm just like, okay, I hate this. But anyway... Um, yeah. Well, I'm excited to see. Excited to. Yeah, we should talk about it whenever myself. you watch it because I'd love to hear mm-hmm. your opinions. Because, yeah, I I'm very yeah, like I said, very mixed feelings on the return. But Firewalk with me also. Let's talk about it because that movie's great. Sure. Um, okay, I'm so glad you told me that. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, but and we should also talk about that when we're not recording the podcast. So I want to hear more. <laughs> Get more into spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, but for the sake of this podcast, so we don't talk about Twin Peaks for another 45 minutes. Uh, let's talk about another great uh, work of art that was made in the 21st century. How do we like that transition? Does that work for us? Well, Twin Peaks, the one that I watched was not made in the 21st century. So I'm not sure. I think it, totally it ended in like 2000, didn't it? It's sort of like 1990. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I tried. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's, all right. That's all we can ask for. I tried. Um, I'm actually looking this up now to make sure that I'm, no yelling at me. No, I'm... Keep, keep going. They're either yelling at you or me. Either way, people are yelling, so... <laughs> IMDb says 1990 to 91. Okay. There we dedicated. go. Um, all right. So let's, let's move on to let's talking about Whiplash. So... Today on the show, we will be discussing Damien Chazelle's feature debut, Whiplash, which was released in 2014. The film follows Andrew, an ambitious, gifted college-age drummer who has dreamed of be- who has a dream of becoming one of the greats. When he is chosen by one of the most notable orchestra conductors to be a part of his jazz ensemble, Andrew's dedication to his art is pushed to unhealthy levels. Under the tutelage of his abusive drumming teacher, Andrew must decide whether to push forward or abandon what he wants most. The story of Whiplash was loosely inspired by Damien Chazelle's experiences as a jazz musician in high school, and it was also written out of frustration while struggling to get his project La La Land off the ground. Little known film that no one's ever heard of called La La Land. <laughs> La La Land. Uh, Sounds intriguing. <laughs> uh, we should watch it. Um, in its original form, Whiplash was written and directed as a short film that eventually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. The short received high critical acclaim and subsequently attracted the interest of many investors, one of which was Sony Pictures. Whiplash was therefore adapted into a feature-length film with a budget of $3.3 million and would go on to be shown on 500 screens across the U.S. The film was a success as it earned a total of $49 million and received nominations and awards throughout the entire 2014 awards season. Due to, the excess of Whip- due to the success of Whiplash, Damien Chazelle would eventually receive the support that he needed to make his original dream project, La La Land, that would then make him a household name and a director whose films many look forward to watching today. And just a fun fact, Miles Tellers uh, performs most of the drumming himself that we see in this movie uh, because he taught himself drumming at the age of 15. But he did receive some help from his co-star, Nate Lang, who plays Carl Tanner, who is uh, an, you know, a real drummer. Not that Miles Teller is not a real drummer, but. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and then in the shots where Teller is not playing, the hands that we see there are actually, uh, they belong to his drum double named Kyle Crane. So just to kind of give Kudos credit to, to all of them. Yeah. yeah, to give credit to those people. And a lot of the jazz ensemble actors that we see in these movies or in this movie as well are um, jazz musicians and actual uh musician so we've got a lot of uh real musical talent going on here so absolutely yeah um but yeah so that's kind of all the all the information i've got so from there i would like to jump in and ask geneva 
what are your thoughts? What's your relationship to this movie? Uh, tell us. Share with us everything. <laughs> tell us all. Tell us everything. <laughs> tell all. And if you don't, I'm going to throw a symbol at your head. <laughs> please don't. Please don't. <laughs> all right. I had, This is my first time watching this movie, so I have been wanting to see this movie for years and just for one reason or another it just never I never actually bit the bullet and watched it um and I'm really glad I did because I really liked it I, I think oh, it's good. excellent yeah it's probably well no this is only my second Damien Chazelle movie that I've seen L- prior prior to this all I had seen is La La Land I do like this more than La La Land um film I have mixed feelings about but we could talk about that maybe someday um but I yeah I think this movie is really excellent um it is very well acted is very well directed um i think the writing is really good the editing is very impressive just how intense and quick it is the way it's so claustrophobic the lighting is so um i don't even know what, know what the term is harsh i guess it gets um this sort of digital like late night harsh fluorescent lights it really gives this feeling of that sort of claustrophobia, intensia, intensity, paranoia kind of um, that I think really goes well with the the protagonist's kind of deteriorating mental state in a way as his anxiety just ramps up and up and up. Um, and I, it opens up some really interesting ideas that I'm excited to talk to you about, about just the nature of greatness and what is what are the acceptable sacrifices in the pursuit of making great art? What does great, great teaching and mentorship look like? Things like that. Um, yeah, really, really excited to talk about it. I'm so glad you liked it. I, uh, as I told you before we started recording, I wasn't sure how you would receive this movie. I've been dying for you to watch it for a long time. <laughs> so I'm glad you finally got to see it. And I'm glad you liked it. Uh, Damien Chazelle is a very very talented, very talented director. Um, so yeah, he, especially just seeing this as his jumping off point, I think it just is really, uh, inspiring. Um, so yeah, just to kind of, um, talk about my relationship with this movie. So this movie actually kind of holds a special place in my heart because I did see this in theaters. It came out in 2014. So I was, uh, you know, obviously almost 10 years younger than I am now. And, (laughs) the year that this movie came out was kind of when my love for film started expanding from just, Oh, these are the mainstream movies that everybody knows about to me actually doing my own research to find movies that no one else is watching, but that I was interested in. And so this was kind of my first time going to a theater to see an indie movie that no one else cared about. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I went with my mom and uh, yeah, so I just think it, it holds a special place in my heart just kind of as the beginning to my just journey with my love and obsession with indie films um, and just kind of discovering, not discovering because I don't discover them, but me just <laughs> enjoying watching the art of up and coming filmmakers and hoping that they get a chance to to really prove themselves. Um, even though I'm enormously jealous of Damien Chazelle. We will talk more about uh, (laughs) his story and how this movie got the success that it did uh, because I'm very proud of him, but I'm also incredibly envious because it is the the journey that I hope to have uh, and I want it so badly (laughs) and it worked for him. Uh, Hope it works for me, but I don't know. Um, 
but anyway, yeah. So to talk about this movie specifically, um, I I remember coming out of the theater when I was younger, and my mom left, and she was she just said to me, she goes, "Wow, that movie was." really intense <laughs> like yeah yes it is um but I don't think I necessarily felt the full intensity of it back then I don't really know why that is but watching it this time around I found myself so much more invested in the story because I feel like I relate so much more to um Miles Teller's character in this film Andrew I I really relate to his incredibly strong passion for this dream that he has and how he's kind of playing this game in his mind of just how far is too far and I'm willing to sacrifice everything in order to pursue this but am I what does that mean about me and like am I actually willing to sacrifice everything and what if I don't get what I want or what do I want do I actually want this if this is what I have to go through etc etc um so yeah, I I found myself really connecting to the character of Andrew this time around, which made me feel the tension more, which made me love this movie even more than I remember. Um, I definitely think, I don't think it's a perfect film. I think it has certain flaws. I, I think that his, you know, romance that kind of happens on the sidelines is not necessarily the most uh, well foraged. I think it kind mm-hmm. of is just there and then... Yeah, it happens I really, and then it goes away. Yeah, um, we can talk a little bit about that because I I really like their scenes together, but I did feel like there needs to be at maybe one more scene between the two of yeah. them. Yeah, Sa- same with his relationship to his father. I think those are both those are two very crucial relationships to the emotional journey that he takes throughout the film. But it does feel like there's a scene or two missing with each yeah. of them. Like we need a little, we need a little bit more. I, I, mm-hmm. I would one hundred percent agree. I don't think that either of those storylines are something where it's like this is stupid and pointless. Take it out of here. It's mm-hmm. like no, I, I see why this matters. I just wish there was a little bit more. Uh, for me, definitely more so with the girlfriend than with the father. Um, because I think we get a little bit more of the family dynamic. I love the scene when they have that family dinner and we mm-hmm. see him being compared to his brother, um, and how he actually is not recognized as being as great of a drummer as he wants to be when he's at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we kind of hear things about his mom a little bit. Um, anyway, I think there's a lot of meat on those bones, and I wish we could have gotten a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I think overall he's a very well-rounded character. And I just love the dynamic of him and J.K. Simmons' characters. I feel like both of them, especially <laughs> especially J.K. Simmons' character, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment, um what is it Fletcher Uh, Fletcher Fletcher. yeah he is so incredibly layered Mm -hmm. that I am obsessed with him like the way that he is written I I just I I don't understand how someone can write a character with such complexity (laughs) and yet have him be so detestable at the same time Mm -hmm. um but anyway yeah I yeah I I kind of just want to go with the flow with this conversation because when I was watching this movie, I almost felt that I couldn't really even take any notes because this movie in my mind, I did not take any notes because I didn't want to take away from the actual experience. Yeah. And for me, it almost feels like it's one long scene. I don't know if that makes sense, but like Mm -hmm. sometimes I watch other movies and it's like, okay, this is a different part of the movie. The vibe has changed. Let me write something down from the last section. And now we're in a new section and a different tone and da da da. 
Whereas I feel like this movie, it's just a constant story and there's never a moment when it's like, okay, I'm going to stop and reflect and have a thought to write down. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, oh my gosh, I just, I just, I'm here and I can't, like, you know, I can't jump off this train now that it's rolling. Um, Which I think is very much what the the protagonist feels too. Yes. Maybe he wouldn't be in some of these situations if he had an opportunity to kind of break away a little bit and get some larger perspective, but he can't because he's in this environment where everything is go 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 and you must do everything that is being asked of you or else you will not achieve your dreams yeah and yeah it's just so intense you can't stop to actually think yeah so is is there is there any particular character that really intrigues you that you want to start with um because for me i just feel like there's so many different (laughs) Like I said, so many different layers to peel back with with each of these people. But because I feel like, you know, I, I'm really intrigued by Andrew and Fletcher, but also Carl Tanner. Tanner is really interesting mm. to me and how yeah. he's this guy where he's the first drummer and then he gets kicked out because some kid lost his sound book. And it just, you know, and then we find out later that he actually left music to go pre-med. And, you know, it's just there's so much going on here, but... Yeah, I just wanted to ask, like, is there any particular character that you kind of want to start with diving into? Well, since you mentioned re- relating to Andrew, we could just start with Andrew since he is the, the protagonist. Um, sure. Miles Teller is incredible in this role. One thing that I really like about this movie and that I think is a very smart writing decision is that Andrew is, he's not the sort of wide-eyed innocent that's being led to this um sort of exploitative place by his mentor, that he is very much making active choices that bring him closer to his mentor and, um, yeah, is very much, he's very much a, you know, you admire his passion, but you also can see that he is a flawed person who is maybe, um, yeah, who, there are, <laughs> there are problem problematic parts of his personality and his his drive and you can see him kind of you could see him becoming the next Fletcher in certain ways you know he is very much when Fletcher says you know this is the there is no nothing basically people don't matter it's the greatness that it matters it's the purity of the art that matters Andrew is right there with him and even though he is the one who receives the most of the the harm throughout this movie because of that philosophy he's also willing to put up with it because he sees this is the only way that i'm going to achieve my dreams and the the thing that matters most is me achieving my dreams and i just think that's a really it's so much more of an interesting dynamic than andrew being like a sort of nice person who gets corrupted it's more he is a person who has these bad parts within him and his relationship with Fletcher is, you know, it's damaging him, but it's also bringing out some of these bad parts. At least that's that's kind of the way that I was reading it. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting because in a certain way, I do agree in the sense that I I don't think that he's just kind of this innocent person who's coming in and doesn't know what's happening. It's, it's very clear that he is choosing to stay in this situation but at the same time, kind of so was everybody else in the jazz ensemble. Um, so I feel like for me, I I see the decisions that he's making and that frightens me a bit. But I also wonder, I don't necessarily know if I see him becoming Fletcher in the future. And 
I, I mean, he could for sure, but I don't know if I see that as like, this is the only outcome for him. And not that that's what you're saying, but I don't know. I feel like for me, one of the reasons why I'm so intrigued by his character is that I do, I do see a lot of myself in him. And I think, I don't know. I, I, I just find there's just a lot of moral and artistic questions and philosophical questions that come to my mind after watching a movie like this of just like is there such a thing as being a successful artist and not having some sort of unhealthy cutthroat Mm -hmm. aspect to your character where you know you have this mentality of my art is more important than other people and I was actually just talking to a friend about this the other day because I'm working on a short film right now that I want to make in the fall and I was just talking to him about, you know, the concept of just, I don't know, what if I want to make something so much and it maybe harms other people, but for me, it's like the story that I want to tell or whatever, and just kind of feeling the sort of tension and confliction of that. And I feel like I see that so much reflected in, in Miles Teller's, in Andrew. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. this film asks that question of, do you have to be a tyrant in order to be a, a great artist? And I don't think it, it gives an answer to that. I think it mm-hmm. just, and that's one thing. Yeah. Sorry. I, I'm an external processor. I'm just kind of like coming nope, up with these thoughts as I go, but <laughs> going. that's, that's one of the things that I actually loved about Damien Chazelle, Damien Chazelle's most recent movie, Babylon. I felt like it was asking a lot of really big questions about what it means to be an artist and being in such a corrupt space, but still having to sacrifice, you know, being a good person in order to pursue this art that you don't know what you would do without it. And he asks all of these really important questions. But at the end of the day, at the end of that movie, he gives no answers. He's like, you can either choose to go deeper into the belly of the beast to get more satisfaction out of your art or you can leave and leave your art altogether. And he's like, I don't think either of those options is the right option, but still you have to choose one, but I'm not telling you which one you have to choose. (laughs) And I think, I think that's one of the things that he also juggles really well in this movie. Um, And I think that that tension is a really important tension to grapple with as an artist. And maybe I'm sure in other areas too, but for me coming from an artist perspective, that's how I think about it. Um, but yeah, I, I love seeing kind of um, Fletcher's perspective of he's already fully committed and made these decisions. And then Andrew's kind of in this place of, I think I want to get there and I see what I have to do, but I don't, you know, it, mm-hmm. I, I just, I love that, that struggle that he's going through throughout this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, this movie, it, it sets up this dynamic through the the mouthpiece of Fletcher of this this binary, you know, you can be a good person or you can be great. You know, you can have healthy relationships or you can be, you can do your art. You can teach someone by being abusive to them and just verbally and emotionally tearing them down all the time and physically putting them in harm's way. Or you can just pat them on the back and let them be mediocre. And I think it's a, a false dichotomy. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that you need to choose between the two of them. But Fletcher clearly does. And I think by extension, Andrew, if he doesn't already at the beginning, I think he comes to believe that as well. And that's what I think is so fascinating about it is because it's this, it sort of creates 
they sort of create the reality of this binary through their belief in it. And so then the ending of the the movie leaves you with this question of has Andrew achieved greatness? And if he has, was it worth it? Was all the pain that he went through, but even more than that, all the pain that he put other people through, was that worth it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think it's super I think it's super masterful how the ending reach like literally the last moments of the film really bring to head this question of okay clearly he's great because of this whole really long insanely amazing scene of him playing the drums and and you know Fletcher coming on board with that eventually but I just it it really just gets to this final question of okay he's clearly great should we be celebrating that or should we be mourning that and mm -hmm. I and because I and and I don't know because at the end of the movie I feel both of those things part of me is like good job you did it you proved him wrong you've achieved your goal I'm so happy for you and then the other part of me is like oh this is really not <laughs> like I don't feel good about this at all like now he's going to continue down this path of just you know abandoning everything in super unhealthy ways mm -hmm. to do this you know and so well, I and just also think I don't think that he proved Fletcher wrong I think he proved Fletcher right hmm. you know I think Fletcher Hmm. for the mm -hmm. way I read it was everything that he did throughout this movie was seeing that potential in Andrew mm -hmm. and feeling like this was the only way that he could push him yeah. to achieve that. And so by the end, he's finally played into the potential that Fletcher saw in him. Mm -hmm. But is that a good thing or not? Mm -hmm. You know, is that, is that a triumph or is that a tragedy? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, yeah. And, and I, I found it a lot I found it very interesting watching it the second time around because obviously I knew where the film was going because I'd seen it before. And so it was a lot more interesting for me to watch the movie and just recognize, oh, none of this is genuine because I knew what was coming next. So I could say, oh, what he's saying right now is directly leading him to this next thing, which is directly leading him to this. You know, I could see it all coming together in the moment and it was just absolutely diabolic like just mm -hmm. so th this probably is the most upsetting depiction of emotional manipulation I've mm -hmm. ever seen but yeah I mean it's such a visceral portrayal of straight up emotional abuse um, I mean that's what it is and physical it, abuse he's throwing things at people abuse. and absolutely. slapping them in the face mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and and I I also love that added element that comes in the movie that's so subtle. Well, it's not really subtle cuz we get it fully explained later, but when Fletcher kind of pushes that CD into into the CD player and we clearly see that it's some famous jazz musician, but then mm -hmm. he tells this really long story about how it's one of his past students who, you know, died in a in a car crash and blah blah mm -hmm. blah 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 and we're like, "Oh, all he's doing is lying right now." And then we find out later on that this is a student who went on to kill themselves because their mm -hmm. anxiety and, and depression and stress and all of these things that came from this teacher mm -hmm. <laughs> led him to that place, which almost makes it even more disturbing that Andrew keeps going back to him, you know, and, and mm -hmm. he has that moment where he does leave and, you know, obviously talk to that lawyer, whoever they were, and, and that gets Fletcher fired, but 
that's kind of his one moment of, of trying to, to make things right. And then at the end of the day, he's like, nope, I'm going right back in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is almost like this sort of classic, you know, you just keep going back to the person who keeps hurting you because you want their approval as much as even more than you want, you know, to to be safe from them. Yeah. Which I think I also love, and, and you and I both said, you know, we wish that there was a little bit more coming from this side of the story, but I love the added element of his father and seeing his mm-hmm. struggle as, you know, I love my son and I want to support his dreams and, you know, I want to support him to the ends of the earth because I love him so much. But then you also see that tension of him knowing that that's, that what his son wants so much is hurting him and Mm -hmm. him trying to like live in this balance of supporting his son no matter what, but also trying to pull him out and help him see that this is not, this is not good for you. And I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I could see the internal dilemma going on in his dad throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And oh, man, his dad's just like, I wish we could just sit and watch movies and eat popcorn every week. Isn't that enough? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. A wonderful, wonderful performance from Paul Reiser, who, you know, I mainly know from Aliens, which we did an episode on, episode on a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. Playing a very different and very despicable character. But here he's just, he's so warm. He's so lovable. He's so... Clearly, he doesn't seem to really understand his son's desires, but he loves his son and he wants the best for his son. Um, yeah, w- I think the scene that I really wish that we could have gotten, unless maybe it was in there and I'm I am just misremembering, is I don't feel like, I don't remember there being any significant scenes between the two of them while um, Andrew is in the midst of kind of the the toughest parts of um, what Fletcher is putting him through. I I don't think we really see what Andrew is doing to himself through the eyes of his father. And so therefore, later on, when his father says, you know, I've seen all of these things that he did to you, like, I, I don't think that resonates quite as much because we didn't have some sort of scene where his father tries to pull him out, tries to, you know, sees how it's impacting him and Andrew chose to ignore him. Isn't there one... I, I'm trying to remember the timing in which this happens. Maybe it, maybe it's after that scene with the lawyer or whoever they are. Mm-hmm. But no, I think this is before that. Is It's like when, um, when, no, no, it's after, yeah. it's after. Okay. I was thinking okay. of that moment when Fletcher um, invites him on stage and then he goes up to play and then it's like, oh, we're actually playing a totally different song than the one oh, I told yeah. you and we don't have no, music. No, because that's, that's, that's at the, the end. end. That's yeah, the, exactly. yeah, the climax where yeah. his father, which incredible shot of... Um, so good. So he he's humiliated and he goes off stage and his father's there to comfort him and you know, you can tell his father's like, all right, we're going to finally walk away and be done with him. But he doesn't. Andrew mm-hmm. goes back and yep. he starts playing. And there's this incredible shot of his father. And you can just see his face fall as he realizes, oh, no, my son is he's never going to be free of this. This is just who he is. This is going to be his reality from now on. And I am so terrified for him. And it's just all there on his father's face. But the thing is, is that we also get a shot during the subsequent sequence when he's, you know, going on that massive drum solo that's like the coolest drum solo ever. And Mm -hmm. we get this shot of his dad being in awe at his son's talent, which I think in my mind further just 
bolsters this question of mm-hmm. <laughs> is this a good thing or a bad thing that he's yeah. succeeding because like we this- see we see all of the harm that comes from this but mm-hmm. at the same time he's so talented mm-hmm. and so it's like do we rejoice or or do we mourn and it is it both? But it can't be both. But can it be both? You know, it's like, <laughs> I just love that tension that exists throughout this whole movie. And I feel like really, really culminates and comes to a real, like, mm-hmm. huge height in this last sequence that is just so good. The last sequence is so freaking good. <laughs> it's oh, so my good. Gosh. Although I have to admit, I did have the thought if I was an audience member at this. Oh, you would have been bored. <laughs> I would have been so confused and then upset because <laughs> it would be like they play one song which is bad because the drummer doesn't know what he's doing drummer storms right. off drummer comes back they play another song which is good then the drummer just goes on this like 10 minute solo <laughs> and there's this clearly the some sort of internal dialogue happening between the drummer and the conductor that i'm not privy to and i just want to leave <laughs> yep <laughs> would have been what it was going through my mind that, that, that's there. the comedy version of this yeah. movie uh which which Behind, could be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I while I'm watching that sequence, I think about the other band members who are just like, uh I know. and like, then and then there's moments when Fletcher like puts his hand out, like he he might signal them to come in and they're like, mm-hmm. Okay, do we get ready now? And then he's like stops it <laughs> and be like, Okay, I guess we'll keep waiting. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to because I want to talk about Tanner, I want to talk about Connor, yes. I want to talk about all the other like members of the band because I was very you know, I, I also wish we'd had just a teensy bit more from them. Mm-hmm. But what we do have is so intriguing because mm-hmm. it is very much to me, the way I was reading it is, you know, these are the other. Sorry to go keep coming back to this metaphor, but like, you know, if you're in an abusive family situation, these are the other your other siblings who are have learned to live within this highly stressful situation. And um, and it's this sort of dynamic that andrew is stepping into um unaware of you know we've all kind of collectively learned how not to antagonize him but when something happens and his rage gets turned on one of us we all just kind of shrivel into ourselves because there's nothing that we can do you Mm -hmm. know and we just wait for the storm to pass basically i really really love sorry to thinking about the the writing of andrew again how at the beginning of the film, it really sets up how isolated he is, you know, mm, how much he yes. he's a person who has no friends, you know, yep. first year, I mean, first year student, you know, if you go away to college, it's it sometimes takes a long time to make any friends. It can be very uncomfortable, very isolating. And um, and so there is that sense that he's unmoored. The only person that he has is his father and his father can't be there all the time. Um and I think that makes him particularly susceptible to this, you know, incredible feeling of being noticed by Fletcher. Oh, he's, you know, the great mentor. He actually wants me. And um, we also see, I mean, going back to what I was saying before about Andrew and like the active choices that he makes, um, Andrew's also kind of a dick. Like he oh, can yeah. also be a jerk yeah. to people. You know, he actively yep. puts people off. He actively pushes people away. Like, it's kind of not a surprise that he doesn't have any friends, but it's also an environment that he's stepping into where there's no incentive to make friends. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't get ahead by bonding with each other and standing up to Fletcher together. That's just going to get you all kicked out. You know, your incentive is just to be every man for himself. And that's why I think the dynamic with um, Tanner and Connolly are so interesting. The rivalry between the three of them 
And Let, let's be honest, though. Connolly was never in the running. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Poor Connolly. I, that actor that they chose, I mean, no offense to him. Very, very handsome man. I'm sure he's a, you know, he does very well in the movie. But the <laughs> the hair dye job that they do on him and then the mm. way that he's directed or, you know, the choices that he's making as an actor, he just has the goofiest look on his face in some shots. You're just like, oh, Connolly, like, oh, oh man. this guy, get him out of here. Oh, well, he doesn't have it. He's clearly kind of a dopey guy because he's yeah. not picking up on the fact that he's literally only there as a tool. A like, pawn, yeah. Like, he clearly, he does not belong there, but he's not aware at all. Or he just is kind yeah. of delusional. These complicated but, psychological mind games going yeah, on right. between Very <laughs> clearly, and Fletcher. He's, and he's just yeah. like, la da <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, like, I deserve this seat. Although I will say... It did appear that he held his own during that sequence when Fletcher had him and just the three drummers in that room, having them trying to get the tempo right for God only mm-hmm. knows how many hours and all their hands were bleeding. Like mm-hmm. he hung in there. So he clearly, did. Yeah. He's, clearly he has talent. He's not, he has, you know, I mean, he got into Schaefer like, yeah, <laughs> you can't get into Schaefer without talent. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. He just doesn't have what it takes to be great. Right. I'm going to grind him down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so kind of speaking about um, the the other band members, I do really like the few moments that we get that are encounters with the band members when Fletcher is not present. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sequences in this whole movie, which happened in the original short film uh, of Whiplash, is when when uh, Andrew goes to the first his first session where he's been asked to go at, and like be there at six, even though even though it doesn't start till nine, he's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> when all of the band members come in, they're all normal people. They're talking mm-hmm. about their weekends. They're talking about what they ate last night. They're talking about their dates and all these things. And then the second, literally he walks in on the second of 9 a.m. And mm-hmm. everyone is immediately silent. Like mm-hmm. the room is so quiet. You could hear, I was going to say a pin drop. I feel like you could hear a feather drop. It's so quiet in there. <laughs> And I just love that introduction of, I mean, I think it's kind of a uh, a tool that's used to introduce Fletcher's character and how much of an impact he has on these students. Mm-hmm. But I also just love seeing them as human beings and not just as these like mute, yeah, uh, like mute victims to this, you know, dragon that's take no that's an insult to dragons i love dragons mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know well, um, and a little like bit of the same basically too. yeah um, a little bit of the same during that three-way battle between the, the three drummers as they're all competing for the same spot and you see the other band members off you know in the bathroom hanging out in the hallways just kind of being like how long do you think this is gonna last i don't know you and know? also i feel like you can feel that tension of some of them you know, having empathy for the guys that are Mm -hmm. in the room, but also being very fully aware that there's nothing they can do to stop it. So they're just kind of like, uh, okay. (laughs) Um, and I also love, I feel like in that sequence with the drummers and maybe this is me putting my own emotions on top of the, that sequence, but I feel like there is a camaraderie between the three drummers in that scene of them, like any sense of competition or, uh, rivalry between them is gone because it's mm-hmm. trauma bonding. All three of them oh, are yeah. just like, we've been in here together for five hours. All of our hands are bleeding. All of us are like sweating yeah. out of our clothing. <laughs> At a certain you know? point, we want someone to end it. It doesn't yeah, even just matter. Someone, who. you know, and um, 
so yeah, I, I, I love those moments. And I also love the moments when Andrew is, is late to the concert and we have them calling him on the phone. They're like, dude, mm-hmm. where are you? Like, you got to get on stage. We need you here. It's been, it's three minutes, blah, blah, blah. I just love seeing that uh, tension of, I don't know if it's them being like, if don't like, don't fuck this up for me. Don't fuck this up for mm-hmm. us. Or if it's more so of like, dude, if you're not here, like this is a big deal. And it, maybe it's a combination of both, but yeah, it's know. hard to tell if they're worried for him or for themselves. Yeah, maybe they don't even know. Maybe they're just like so amped up and stressed <laughs> out that they're like, maybe it's more so like if you don't show up, we don't know how Fletcher's going to respond. And we're mm-hmm. so terrified of his reaction that yeah. we need you to be here right now. You don't show up. What is it? Connolly, I think at that point would have gone on. He's not as good. We might lose. Fletcher would be mad. Like there's just, yeah. there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, Totally. Um, I, I want to talk about Tanner a little bit more because I, I really, really like his character a mm, lot. Me too. Because in the beginning, he genuinely seems like this kind person who's like, okay, there's a new drummer here. I get it. I remember when I was new, but then very quickly it becomes this competitive thing after, you know, Andrew loses his book. And then he's like, you're going to turn my sheet music. and That's it. Don't touch anything <laughs> like tune my drum. You know, don't even because in the beginning he was like, OK, you can tune my drums. That's fine. And then later he's like, don't even touch my drum set. Oh, interesting. You know? I and, in- did not interpret him as starting out as a kind person. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah. Inter- anyway, sorry. Continue. We'll, we'll talk. Yeah. I, I felt like he was a kind person in the beginning who was just kind of like, OK, there's this new kid here. As long as you don't get in my way, like whatever, because he kind of just didn't really feel like he was a threat because I feel mm-hmm. like. I feel like Tanner has seen enough of Fletcher that he's probably just like, okay, how is he going to use this kid? Clearly, da 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 I don't know if he necessarily saw him as a threat in the beginning. No, but, I mean, um, why would he? Yeah, and I also feel like, I don't know, I don't know if he's actually gay or not. He very well might be because Fletcher continuously attacks him throughout the movie, mm-hmm. calling him, I, I'm not even going to say the F word, but like he calls him the F word and like all of these things and he keeps shouting all of these like, gay slurs at him Mm -hmm. and it just creates this whole other element to his character of oh my gosh like he you know he's a talented drummer but how many other things is he having to overcome in order to be here and you know then obviously we find out later that he leaves and goes to pre-med and I'm just kind of like good good for you be free (laughs) be free like go be a doctor and care for people and you Mm -hmm. know um, maybe he'll be a psychologist or a therapist and help people who are work you know under other (laughs) abusive uh you know teachers but I don't know I I I can't fully identify what draws me to the character of Tanner but he just is super intriguing to me um but yeah I don't know yeah yeah no I agree I find him very intriguing I don't when I say I, I didn't find him to be kind at the beginning I don't mean I I think he starts out being horrible I just it seemed to me very sort of matter of fact like I'm the top dog you're the you're the new newbie, so I'm gonna, you know, tune my drum and then get out of my way, kind yeah. of. Just like very brusque, very like I'm on top, you're not. You have to do what I say. Um, but you know, in in a way of like, you know, the sort of hazing, like you know, we all have to go through pain when we first arrive, and you have to pay your due respect to your superiors, to your elders <laughs> before you can move up into that spot. You know, I think his mindset is very much like this is this newbie. And, you know, maybe next year after I've graduated or whatever, I don't know how long these people are at Schaefer <laughs> or <laughs> what your Tanner is in, but, you know, 
at some point he'll be moving up, but until then, you know, I'm still on top. I'm still the core player. And so, I'm, you know, he's he has to do all the grunt work so that I can I can be the core player. Um, and then when that reversal happens and Andrew gets promoted, mostly because of a screw up that Andrew did, <laughs> um, it's shocking. And just the the delivery, uh, you know, I, I looked up the actor who plays Tanner. Like you said, he's a um, he's a drummer. He's been in other other things as an actor, but I think he's more a musician. But I thought he, was, he did a great job. And the the notes of panic in his voice where he's like, where's the folder? Where's the folder? Like, what did you do? And it just keeps escalating until mm-hmm. I think his final line is like literally screaming, where's the fucking folder? Like mm-hmm. he's just having a complete, complete yeah. breakdown, which honestly I think is justified. Completely but, um, justified. Yeah. yeah. And when he's trying to like explain to Fletcher, like, I can't do this without my music and it's not my fault. You know, I have this medical condition that means yep. that I can't. And it's just, it's absolutely no good. You know, yeah. there's no chance that Fletcher is going to be accommodating there's no chance he's going to be understanding i mean and you know talking about the the ways that the things that fletcher says to him about his sexuality that sort of reversal on andrew's first day where fletcher takes him aside and has they have this little conversation where you know he seems to be really nice and he's asking him all these questions about his family and he's very encouraging and andrew comes in feeling great and he's like oh i'm the special one you know fletcher singled me out and then immediately Fletcher is using everything that Andrew shared with him as a weapon against him and I feel that must is probably what happened to Tanner Mm -hmm. you know yeah for sure Fletcher manipulated him into some place where he felt safe Mm -hmm. to reveal that bit about himself and ever since Fletcher has used that as a weapon against him yeah yeah for oh man for sure I feel like yeah I just I don't know. I just feel like Tanner is the person in this movie. Maybe this is why I'm so intrigued by him. He's the person where I I genuinely feel like you don't deserve this man. Like, you know, (laughs) because for me, I'm like, okay, Andrew's choosing this and Mm -hmm. Fletcher's clearly getting off on whatever this like, Mm -hmm. you know, messed up relationship is. But Tanner, I'm like, he just wants to drum, guys. <laughs> you know, like, just let him drum. And I feel like also my sense of him not necessarily – of him kind of being a good – me seeing him as like a good person in the beginning, like a kind person. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there's so much contrast between him being in first seat versus mm-hmm. Andrew being in first seat because you see when Andrew gets moved up he's kind of sitting there and he's looking cocky as fuck I'm like dude mm-hmm. you suck like he, yeah. he is he is like you again said, he's a dick Miles like, Teller he, doing a great job like the little yeah. smirks that he will have whenever Fletcher compliments him or, or gives yeah. him something in front of the rest of the room like whereas Connor's, if I was yeah if I was in that band I would hate his guts so freaking much yeah whereas Tanner's just kind of like okay I'm in first seat I'm not gonna rub it in your face that this is where I am it's just very clearly like I'm first seat you're not it's a fact I'm just gonna do what I do whereas Andrew's like I need to assert and let everyone know mm-hmm. that this is where I deserve to be and I don't know I just I feel like Carl is is or Tanner, whatever Tanner, he, I don't, I don't know. I just, I have a lot of empathy for him. I, mm-hmm. I, I like him a lot. I think. Yeah. And as you mentioned, I forgot about the, the scene where, you know, he says that he has a mental condition. I'm just like, mm-hmm. how much has he had to overcome in order to get here? And I just really admire that and his ability to persevere without being 
a jerk, you know, and um, obviously like he has moments where he's yelling and he gets frustrated. Yeah. And but again, I think those moments are justified. So I'm just like, I, I don't know. He I think he's a good drummer. But also if being a terrible person is what is required in order for you to become a great then I think that he's extremely, extremely talented. He's just not a great, you know? And I actually think that that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, don't don't be a great if this is what it takes. Just be a really good drummer and yeah. drum somewhere else and have fun. Yeah. Uh, and don't Again, hurt I yourself think that's in the a, process. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think that's a false dichotomy. But if that is the choice, <laughs> I think it is better to be a great person, to be a good person than to be a great. Actually, this kind of makes, makes me think of um, the Banshees of Inishiran and that sort mm. of the central theme of that. I feel like so many movies just be nice (laughs) yeah you used to be nice um also makes me think of I mean one of the things that I love so much about Amadeus about um one of the things I love about Chariots of Fire like all of these themes of the idea of you know here are the things that compel you to want to be great in your chosen craft and the motivations and how those motivations shape the way that you go about it um Anyway, sorry. There there are a lot of, yeah. you know, there are a lot of movies with similar themes and I love seeing the different ways that different mm-hmm. artists will tackle them. Yeah. I yeah, just to kind of I guess go in a different direction from that. Um I love I love seeing Andrew and Fletcher kind of go up against each other because part of me is like Andrew is clearly a victim, but then the other part mm-hmm. of me is like no, he's going head to head with Fletcher and he knows that there's a possibility that he could come out on top. Like that's why he's still fighting, you know, and and there are moments where from from the beginning to the end where we do get a sense of like, oh, Andrew actually won this round. Like he he called your bluff because there's there's that one scene in the beginning or towards the beginning. I don't remember exactly where it falls in because again, like I said, this movie is kind of just one long continuous story to mm-hmm. me that has a bunch of concerts and I can't distinguish between them (laughs) but there's one there's one of the concerts where um oh maybe it's the one when when he forgot his his sticks in back at the like car rental place or whatever and he had to go back and um I think it's that moment when uh you know uh Fletcher's kind of yelling at him and saying all these things blah blah and then Andrew looks at him he goes so you can cut me then go ahead cut me and then Fletcher's kind of like well, you know what, you fucking blah, 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 blah. You better go get your goddamn sticks because I will eat you if you don't. And the fact that he said, cut me, and Fletcher responds with such, mm-hmm. like, an aggressive insult yeah. is very clear, like, oh, he doesn't you've won this round because he's yeah. not going to cut you. But the only thing he can do is, like, lash out with even more, like, angry whatever. But but Andrew knows that mm-hmm. he's won, so he's like, fuck you, I'm going to go get my sticks and I'll be right back. <laughs> Yeah. And I just, I love seeing the two of them go head to head because, you know, we have that scene where Andrew tackles him and fights him on the ground. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, we have these moments where, I don't know, I just, I, I here's a question I have for you. So that scene when Andrew and Fletcher are in the jazz bar after Fletcher's been fired and they mm-hmm. kind of bump into Incredible each other and scene. they have that conversation. Do you think that, Andrew is playing Fletcher in that moment of just kind of like, okay, I know he's being nice to me. And so I'm just going to play along because da, 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 da. Or do you think in that moment, Andrew actually thinks that Fletcher's being genuine? Because I wonder, 
has he been manipulated enough that he knows that this Mm -hmm. isn't real and he's just playing along or is he back in that place where again he's like oh I don't know maybe Fletcher is being honest and he's being kind to me and Mm -hmm. blah 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 I don't know it's so interesting because he does seem genuinely shocked when he gets to the stage and finds out he's being ambushed and humiliated in front of the most important people to him on the planet (laughs) but also I'm like dude how can you fall for this? Like, yeah, come on, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's your did, read of that scene? Yeah. My read is that he does think it's genuine. I think he is suspicious at first. You know, clearly he doesn't want to, you know, confront Fletcher at all. You know, he, he went in not expecting that they would end up having any sort of conversation. I think he's on guard at first. But I think he does read Flet like believe that Fletcher is letting down his guard and honestly I think to a certain extent Fletcher is genuinely letting down his guard even though he is at the same time manipulating Andrew and planning to sabotage um, him <laughs> yeah to humiliate him although again is this also just part of his larger master plan of bringing out the greatness in Andrew I mean I think to some extent it's not really one agenda that I think he can be like I still see something in this kid and I want to get back at him for what he did to me, but also maybe that will push him into something else. And that either way, that would be a win for me in a sense. Hmm. But anyway, I I think there is, I think there is a genuine moment of connection and there are genuine truths about Fletcher that are being revealed in that scene. I think Fletcher is being very honest when he speaks about what he wants to achieve and why he does what he does. And I think Andrew recognizes that, and that's what makes it so surprising to him when he realizes, oh, Fletcher was also um, manipulating me and putting me into this position to completely humiliate me and sabotage my career. Maybe that conversation with Fletcher is also what leads Andrew to go back onto the stage at the end after he's been humiliated. He recognizes mm-hmm. like, oh, this is my opportunity to sh- to to show him that I am one of the Mm -hmm. greats based off of his definition of what a great is based off of what he told me in that conversation that we had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Him like he gives him all the clues, all the keys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many, I just, I love, sorry to kind of jump back and forth between scenes, but that last scene of that final concert, I love how there's again, watching them go head to head. Like there's all of these dynamic shifts that happen between the two of them in this long, Mm -hmm. continuous scene. Like, that moment when Fletcher walks up to him, and in my opinion, he looks the scariest and the most evil he does in the whole movie. When he looks at him, he goes, I know it was you. Mm. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I, but then, but then that's like their one-on-one interaction. And then the next one-on-one interaction that they have, or m- maybe it's not the exact next, because I think he looks at him and says, you're done or whatever. But then we get that moment when when Andrew comes back out into the stage and then uh, Fletcher's like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, I'll cue you. And mm-hmm. immediately Fletcher's like, oh, shit. Like, you know, like, <laughs> he's going to cue me in. All right. Like, let's go. Let's mm-hmm. do this. And I just I, I think, you know, we're going to get into this later, but I think it's pretty well known that J.K. Simmons won the best actor or best supporting actor mm-hmm. nomination in like well every freaking award show that existed that year. Like he won the SAG, <laughs> the critics choice, the golden globe, the Oscars, the, like everything. And I think that in that sequence in particular of the very last concert moment, he gives such an incredible performance where he's going from shock 
to awe, to disappointment, to anger, to excitement, to passionate. Mm -hmm. And, and he does all of it without saying anything. Like he just, he just changes the expressions on his face. But then we also see those representations within the directing and the editing, like the moment when Andrew knocks the symbol down and Fletcher picks it back up and looks at him and it's like, Oh man, you know, I just, (laughs) and I just, you know, and just the editing and seeing the blood falling onto the drums and, and the sweat building up on the cymbals and, and you know, how the drums, how it slows down to, and then you the see the way they're Fletcher, working like, in harmony like, at building that point. It back yeah. up. It's like, it's just, it's, I, that, that last sequence, I should have timed it. I don't know how long it is. I feel like it's gotta be at least like eight minutes. So long. But yeah. It's just, it is, Freaking Damien Giselle, you're 28 years old. Like, I, I hate you, but also I'm so happy for you that you're able to make something like that at such a young age. But, you know, so many people, when this movie came out, they saw it and they just noticed the talent that Damien Giselle had. They watched this movie and they were like, oh, my gosh, this kid, well, adult, whoever, this this up-and-coming director, he has such an eye for detail. And it, it's just... It's incredible. This this movie blows me away. There's so much complexity to to all of it. And it comes together in such a beautiful way to tell a really genuinely moving story. Not moving in terms of like, oh my gosh, I was moved to tears, but moving in terms of like, oh, it's it's moving me to think about life in a different way and asking really important questions. Um yeah. Anyway, that's that's a long spiel, but I yeah I just I I love this movie. I think it's so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you well do you have any any thoughts on like on the editing in particular? Um, because I I just I find the editing and the sound mixing in this movie to be just so just so outstanding. Yeah, I mean, not specific um, thoughts apart from the fact that it's it's very well edited. The use of the the quick. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but the, the quick close-up shots of, you know, a hand striking a drum or a cymbal shaking or the, the foot on the tapping the floor, things like that. Just the, the, the way it builds the, the sense of pacing throughout the scene, um, the sense of rhythm, I think is very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to watch this movie again and just like analyze it f- musically. I feel like the story, it has, you know, it, it, I feel like it's almost like a song, you know, it's, it's got certain moments where it speeds up and slows down and the tempo and it's all rising to this moment. And it's like a cohesive story that's trying to lead you somewhere. And I think it's just so evident here that Damien Giselle is a lover of music and, you know, an X slash, I don't know if you can say X, but I'm for sake of whatever, I'll just say X, like X jazz musician. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, he has a very strong collaboration, you know, uh, and relationship with Justin Hurwitz, who is his, you know, longstanding composer who he's used for most of his films. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's so clear that he that he loves music and not just in this movie. I feel like it kind of starts here because this was his debut. But obviously his- Ryan Gosling is obsessed with jazz and La La Land. Oh, yeah, like we, we see his love of music in La La Land and Babylon. Not as much so in First Man. That, that movie is so interesting to me that he made that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I think he just does. Yeah, I don't know. He just yeah. does such a good job here. 
Yeah. I mean, just the pieces that were written for this movie. I'm assuming that Whiplash and Caravan, the two pieces that are most prominently featured, are written for this movie. I actually did not (laughs) look that up. So actually, I don't know which ones are which, but a fair amount of these songs are actually... Uh, songs that existed before this movie oh, and then mm-hmm. some of them were composed for the film i i think whiplash might be a pre-existing song but i don't remember which one is which but not all of the music in here is original okay interesting well yeah whoever uh, i whether they were written for this song this movie or um, whether they were pre-existing and someone selected them whiplash and caravan the two main ones are really well used throughout the film and mm-hmm. Yeah, they just are integrated into the script really well. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, I'm just kind of like flip-flopping around. But again, going into my whole thing of character introductions, <laughs> I just think that the character introduction of Fletcher is amazing. The mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we have him kind of looming behind this door and everyone's kind of like, oh my gosh, like, is mm-hmm. he actually coming in? Then he comes in and then walks out and then comes in oh and then, gosh. you know. The fact that he, he can walk into just a random music class and the teacher will instantly give it over to him. And then he yep. just has individual people play like a measure, yep, <laughs> like barely a measure. And then he somehow magically knows whether or not they have the potential to join his studio band. He, he, he has this like mythic status at this school. Mm-hmm. Very intrigued by how long he's been teaching here and how he's regarded by the rest of the faculty. Yeah. And then and then that first scene too, again when uh when Andrew goes to that first like actual jazz ensemble with Fletcher's, you know, band mm-hmm. and he walks in at nine o'clock on the dot and he opens mm-hmm. his music and puts his coat on the rack and you see his shoes walking on the ground before you see his face and everyone is silent and then, you know, we go into this scene where he's being super super scary in my opinion Mm -hmm. of just saying like someone's out of tune and going through going through his like ensemble section by section by section be like oh no it's not this group oh man now I found him it's Mm -hmm. one of you four oh my gosh like threatening them and the way that they yeah just the way that they introduce him is just you know who he is right right away through so many different, like through the writing, through the acting, through how it's shot, through so many different mm-hmm. things. Um, I just, I, I, I yeah. love his character introduction. I think yeah. it's really, really well done. The mind games that he plays on them and, and singling out one person who we find out is not actually out of tune, but mm-hmm. bullying him and using all these sort of fat phobic insults on him to manipulate him into claiming to be out of tune when he's not. And using that as an excuse to throw him out and then just like cheerily turning around and admitting, oh, no, he actually wasn't out of tune. It was this other guy. But um, he didn't know he wasn't out of tune. So that's that's why he deserved to go. And you're just Although like, this I'm person will use every trick in the book to just break down his musicians. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, also, I'm fairly certain that none of them were out of tune to begin with. So <laughs> I have musical training, but I do not claim to be at the level where I can identify that. Any yeah. of them are out of tune. They sounded fine to me. They sounded great. Um, well, I don't know if you knew this, but the character Fletcher is based off of me. I'm actually um, <laughs> a really, really renowned, world-renowned conductor. Was I rushing or was I dragging? Uh, both. <laughs> oh, wow. That's I've, very impressive. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I. 
Yeah, I, I tried this time listening to that. I was like, I, I was really trying to listen. I was like, is he rushing or is he dry? And also that whole no beginning sequence where again, like he's trying to play, play it off. Like he's a nice guy. I'm just like, no, no. Mm-hmm. not quite my tempo it's okay let's let's try mm-hmm. again yeah, yeah he really uh, wants still, to like build still up to a little it. bit off but but let's let's go again and then it just escalates from there to immediately 100 of throwing i'm throwing a symbol at decapitating your head. you like i just yeah. well and also man, what with- a character introduction <laughs> <laughs> and with everything that we just saw with that musician there's also the possibility that he is not rushing or dragging that he mm-hmm. is his tempo is completely fine and he's just saying that to try and manipulate him into admitting some sort of mistake or or get one over on him mm-hmm. like you you can't you genuinely can't tell yeah yeah Ugh. yeah which can we also talk about um with fletcher just how interesting and layered he is i, I was i was so intrigued by how he's viewed by other people who are hmm. not in his studio band Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, you know, I'm very curious about the status he has within the school that he can just walk into other random classes and take them over for five minutes. But there's also there's that one scene toward the beginning where we see him greeting the child of some Mm -hmm. colleague and he's being really sweet with her and he remembered her. Um, you know, he's like, oh, you, you know, you've grown since I last saw you or whatever. And remember some detail about her. Andrew sees it and has this kind of like, oh, this guy has, you know, he's got more dimensions. He's got a heart. You know, there, there are clearly so many sides to him. And I, I love the fact that when Andrew goes and sees him performing in his jazz, jazz ensemble. So after Andrew's been um, um, expelled from Schaefer and after Fletcher's been fired from Schaefer, um the the piece that Fletcher is playing on the piano is so delicate and so beautiful. And it's just not what you would expect from this man who is so gruff and harsh all the time. It is just this really ethereal, gorgeous piece of piano playing. And it really does show that there is this kind of more delicate emotional side to him that he can access in his art. But then at the same time, that coexists within this person who is capable of being so cruel and so aggressive toward the people in his charge. I feel like that makes sense, though, because I feel like in order for someone to have so much power to manipulate people in such a terrible way, Mm -hmm. they have to know they have to know what like they have to know what happiness is in order to know how to squash it if that makes <laughs> sense. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. if you don't actually know what joy feels like or what that feels like for other people, then you don't actually know how to attack it. You're just kind of like throwing things out there and hoping one of your insults sticks. Mm-hmm. But when you know how to be a person, I, I don't know. I think he's just maybe a psychopath, but like <laughs> he, he sees like he can experience joy or, or watch other people experience joy and watch, watch other people experience joy, or he knows how to participate in that. And because mm-hmm. of that, he knows how to destroy it. And yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, I agree with you. I love seeing the different layers to him, but I'm also like, I don't know how much they're layers as much as they are just like another personality or another show that he's putting on. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if it's he's this terrible person, but beneath all of the terribleness, he's actually got like a, a genuine love for children. And like, I don't no. know if it's that. I think it's more so like he's terrible, but 
he's able to shut that down for a little while. Yeah. And like well, have that be more dormant. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, the this the impression that I got, because, you know, right after that scene of him playing the piano with his jazz ensembles, when he and Andrew sit down and he kind of explains his philosophy of teaching and why he believes he needs to push people in this way, because that's the only way that they will become great. And I just had this thought of, oh, he genuinely believes this. Like, I think, I mean, I think to some extent, you know, he gets too tripped up on the power aspect of it, certainly. But I think he does genuinely believe that this is his way of contributing to the world. And this is something that anyone that it actually works on will thank him for, will appreciate him for, you know, like he has, like, it seems weird to say good intentions, but he does have the intention of producing at least one great artist. And that just kind of made me see him in this new light because it's like, that almost makes him this tragic figure too, not in the sense that he is a victim because he's not, but in the sense that he is so blinded by his belief that this is what greatness means, this is how greatness is achieved, and my purpose on this earth is to create the conditions for greatness to emerge, and the way that I do that is by psychologically torturing my students and hoping that one of them becomes great. Like, that is a that is so sad, <laughs> you know? That's, I mean, again, that get, get, leads into the larger question of how we interpret the ending. Like, if he's right, maybe his maybe his purpose has been achieved. But I don't know, from my perspective, I'm like, that's so sad because even if you do produce greatness, you know, even if you have won by the end, by your standards, and Andrew is truly great, you've harmed so many people that, you know, I don't know that we can ever say that that was, certainly I would never say that that is worth it. Um, I mean, he literally... Like indirectly caused another person to kill themselves. Yeah, you know, it's like he you basically how many, killed and, someone, and that's the only one that we know of. Like, how many lives mm-hmm. has he taken in order to produce this one? Mm-hmm. How know, many people are struggling with addictions and depressions and severe anxieties and things like Casey, even if they haven't actually taken their own lives? But yeah, how much damage has he done through his methods? Yeah, I. I would love to see Fletcher and Lydia Tarr sit down in a room. I feel like I feel like that would be yeah, that would be Mm -hmm. a really I would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I guess like just to kind of get close to wrapping things up a little bit Mm -hmm. here, I I'd like to kind of move a little bit away from talking about the movie directly to maybe talking a little bit more about like the social implications of this Mm -hmm. movie, because I feel like that's where this movie really transcends for me. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, this asks, yeah, yeah. What, what's up? Well, there's one, just one other part of the movie that we didn't talk very much about that. I just wanted to shout out, which is, um, Nicole, uh, Andrew's girlfriend, even though she doesn't have a whole lot of scenes. And again, I would have liked to see a little bit more. I really, really love the performance of Melissa, Gonna pronounced her name. It's spelled like Benoist, but I know that's not actually how it's pronounced. I can't remember how it's actually pronounced, but I think she's really fantastic in what she's given. And in particular, the scene between the two of them where he breaks up with her and he does it in basically the most hurtful, <laughs> manipulative way possible, where he takes the things that she's shared with him about how she's unsure about what she wants to do and 
you know, she feels kind of lonely and directionless. And he uses that as ammunition to say, because of you are these things, we should not be together because you're going to drag me down. Like that is so incredibly hurtful. You know, it's not, you know, it's not the level of what Fletcher does to his students, but it, it gives glimpses of that, you know, that kind of emotional manipulation. And her reaction, I think, is mm. just so good because it just, mm -hmm. there's just the shot of her face as all of these different emotions flicker across it where she's just, she's shocked and she's ashamed and she's hurt and she's angry. And she's like, I cannot believe this person is saying these things to me. And then she just says, what's wrong with you? And she walks away <laughs> and you're like, yes, be free. Um, it, but yeah, yeah, I just, I think it's a really great scene. That scene reminds me a lot of that opening scene in The Social Network when Rooney Mara's yes, character says too. to Zucker Zuckerberg, she's like, for the rest, you're going to go through your whole life thinking that people don't like you because you're a nerd. But I want to sincerely tell you, it won't be, it won't <laughs> be because you're a nerd. It'll be because you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. And freaking love that line. Thank you, Aaron Sorkin, <laughs> for giving us that line. But um, that, yeah, that moment in this movie reminded me a lot of, of mm -hmm. that opening scene in the social network, because it is a similar dynamic of like, you know, brilliant man thinks he's too just, brilliant, but to be with a normal woman and the normal yeah. woman is like, fuck you, asshole. Yeah. Literally. Like I, if that's what you think of me, then like, screw you, I'm out of here. I, you yeah. know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry over you. Like, this is ridiculous. Have fun digging your own grave, basically. Mm. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I like I said in the beginning, I I see the motivations for having her character in this movie. I don't necessarily want her to be taken out, but I feel like I feel like there's something missing here. It kind of goes from this beginning cutesy phase of them being like, oh, my gosh, I think mm -hmm. we kind of like each other to then having this dinner where it's like, yeah, so I don't think we should be together. And I'm like, what yeah. are the stakes here? Because if they've only had one date, this isn't really that big. Yeah. Of a deal, you know? Again, maybe maybe one scene of like. You know, she wants to hang out, but he's, you know, it conflicts with his practice time or something like that, you know, yeah. flesh it out a little bit. But yeah. yeah. Thank I you for bringing that up, again. though. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's that's a good scene for sure. Um, but yeah, I yeah, guess so. Yeah, I guess I just want to talk briefly. Maybe this didn't impact you as much as it did me. I, I don't know. But for me, I don't know. I just like watching this movie. I really just wrestle with Andrew's dilemma because I like I relate to it I I understand what it's like to I mean I don't expect myself to be one of the greats I have no expectation <laughs> to be like I'm gonna be the next Steven Spielberg like no uh th that will never happen and I don't expect that Come to on, happen Tate, believe in yourself um I believe in myself but I'm not delusional <laughs> um but but that being said, like, I do really, really empathize with his inner struggle of like, this is something that I really, really, really want. And in order for me to achieve it, I have to do things that I would otherwise not choose to do. But if I don't do these things and if I don't accomplish this dream, then like, what else do I have, you know? And I think that that's kind of a, a sad thought of like putting your whole... I guess, like purpose of life on this one mm -hmm. thing. And if you don't have it, then that's it. But I, I don't know. I, I understand that. And especially at this phase of my life where I'm really, really, really pursuing being a director. And, and in the next coming months, I've got some hopefully big risks that I'm taking that 
I'm hoping will pay off. And, and I'm just like, you know, I've sacrificed so much for the dreams that I have. Like I've worked the film industry, like I've worked so many hours and, and, you know, all of these different things that I've done in order to get where I want to go. And I'm just like, it's, it's not as easy of a decision to just walk away from a dream as, as it might seem. And so I don't know, I guess like I empathize with Andrew and, and I I hope I don't ever get to a place where I have to, you know, abuse people in order to, (laughs) in order to become a great or, or rip my hands open. So they're bleeding. But I think also a part of me relates to this as an artist, but also part of me relates to it as an athlete, because for me, sorry, we're going way up. Hi, no, people. Welcome to the life of Tatum. Now I'm like just talking to Geneva, my friend. Remember when I said that I, I could understand why Tatum likes this movie? Yeah. Tatum, this movie is very much sort of opening up a vein into Tatum's brain. Yeah. Everything and that she is. And it's like also. Leaves it and pursues. Yeah. Like me growing up as an athlete, like I was a very competitive gymnast and then hockey player through college. Like I understand that like. I've broken my finger on the ice and kept playing in a hockey game because I'm like, I will not lose this game. I will not be the player who like goes down and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to let my team down. I'll let myself down because my finger's broken. I'm like, no, I'm (laughs) going to keep playing or gymnastics. Like you keep going on the bars, even if your hands are bleeding and ripping open, it doesn't matter because you have to toughen up your hands. That way you can, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, like I related to this character so much as an artist and as a and as a person who has a seemingly unattainable dream, but also as an athlete. And for me, like the answers to the questions that this movie is asking are not as cut and dry to me. And I don't think the movie is making a statement that it's cut and dry and that it's an easy answer. But for me, I'm like, this answer is not easy at all. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it could go either way. And I'm like, well, what does that say about me? I don't know. But I'm like, I can see why he would go the route of becoming Fletcher or, or whatever. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I just, I was wondering, like, did, did, for you, do you feel like the answer to the questions that this movie is asking are a little bit more, do do you see them as being nuanced or do you kind of feel like you have a firm idea of like, no, that this is, this is the way that I would go about this. And I feel pretty (laughs) confident in that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, the questions this movie raised are ones that are also themes in a lot of other movies that I have watched and really, really love and have deeply impacted me throughout my life. So even it wasn't necessarily this movie that had me sort of pondering them, but these are questions that I've pondered for a really long time because of, you know, just other, um, like when they've been raised in, at other points in my life. And yeah, like I've always really struggled with that question of um like goodness versus greatness like you know the banshees of inishir and like <laughs> is it better to be cruel to those around you and cut yourself off in the hopes of achieving something that will outlast you or is it better to be live nice a life- <laughs> be nice yeah live a life of value and and um be valued by the people around you, even if it means that you're not going to be remembered after them. I mean, these are huge questions of purpose and of, you know, what is the existential meaning of your life? You know, what is, what does it mean to live a life that is both fulfilled and also, you know, has an actual long-term significance? And and does that I mean, even matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tend to, I tend toward the you know, as I kind of said before, thinking, I think we 
do ourselves a disservice when we set these things up as binaries because I don't think they are binaries. You know, I don't think that you being a good person to the and being kind to the people around you will or should conflict with producing great art. I think they often do because of how human nature works and the ways that we can, you know, create this sort of shuttle tunnel vision around us when we're focused on one thing, you know, because we tend to put ourselves and our needs first and the the needs of our name when we're trying to create something and then we push other people away. But I don't think they inherently need to conflict. And I think the the purpose of of life when you're in that position of trying to be an artist or trying to achieve something great should be I want to do this excellently, but I also want to be um be a person who is living with integrity in the context in which I'm living, you know, to the the friends, family, acquaintances, to the people around me, to the people who work under me, to the people I'm teaching, to the people who are above me. You know, I think you should be trying to balance both of those things. And I don't think that you should be um coming at it from the mindset of I must sacrifice one for the other. Yeah. If you ever see me falling into that, let me know. <laughs> um, yeah, and also just like one one last point before we start to close out here. But another thing about this movie kind of relating to that that I think really touched me too was stepping back from this film itself and thinking about like the story b- behind the director of this movie and how mm-hmm. this movie actually came into being. And for me, I was just like, this movie is so it's just raising so many questions for me and like through the characters themselves, but also through Damien Chazelle of like, this was a movie where he, you know, he made this as a short film and somehow got Blumhouse productions on board to get JK (laughs) Simmons to be in the short film. I don't know how he did that. Yeah. Does he like, do you know, does he come from like a showbiz family? Does he have prior connections? Did he go to film school? Do you know what his, I think, I think he went to, I think he went to film school, but I don't think he has any family in the business. I, I I could be wrong, but, Mm. but just the fact that he, he made this film at such a young age and then released it. And it was like the premiere film at the Sundance Film Festival that mm-hmm. won all of these awards that then got, you know, Sony Pictures to jump on and give him $3 million to make this movie with these actors that then catapulted him to make a movie that would then come to, well, I was going to say come to win Best Picture. Did not win Best Picture. <laughs> it famously did not win Best Picture. Um, but just thinking about, you know, his journey as an artist and how this was his springboard into really, really getting to where he wanted to go because his initial passion project was La La Land, like we said before. And so the fact that he made this film and then finally got to do what he wanted to do and is still continuing to do what he wants to do, even though Babylon is definitely him being like, ah, the industry, this sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think like at the end of the day, I find the whole story of this film as well as like the story around it, I guess I find it to be really inspiring. And part of that freaks me out. Cause I'm like, I feel like I probably shouldn't be inspired by the character of Andrew, but like I kind of am. <laughs> and then that tied into, you know, Jamie, Damien Giselle's story. I just, I don't know. I finished this movie and I was like, all right, 
I can do this. I just have to be willing to sacrifice more. <laughs> it's no, like, oh. no, don't let that um, be the takeaway. I mean, balance. <laughs> my takeaway is not sacrifice things to the detriment of my own well-being and the and the well-being of other people. Like it's just it's just like okay, you know, I gotta I gotta start taking chances, more chances, and and being willing to like put my put my neck out on the line and all that stuff. But um, anyway, yeah, this movie just like really hit me in a time where I was like, Whew. all right, let, let's, let's get going. <laughs> Come on, Tatum. You're, uh-huh. you're, you're, you're a failure. You got to start moving <laughs> forward. <laughs> like, let's go. Um, oh, that sounds like my relationship with Amadeus mm. coinciding with um, graduating from college. Yeah. Anyway, we can talk about that in our Amadeus episode, which I think is a few episodes from now. It's coming up soon. I think. Oh, goody. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, I, if you're okay with it, I think I'm going to jump into our awards section sure. and everything. Yeah. Okie doke. So uh, this movie was very highly received by basically everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you know, it, it premiered at the Sundance film festival, the first movie that showed everyone loved it, you know? Um, and because of that, it was picked up by Sony pictures, but uh, so it has an 89 on Metacritic and a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. And in addition to that, it was nominated for five Oscars. It was, I can't believe his first film was best, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not upset. Um, <laughs> but Orson it, Welles, Steven Spielberg, Damien uh, Chazelle. Gosh, dang it. But anyway, so it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Performance by an Actor in Supporting Role, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, Best Sound Mixing. And of those, it won Supporting Actor, Editing, and Sound Mixing, which I think it deserved all three of those. Um, And it also won, uh, or J.K. Simmons won Best Actor in Supporting Role at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and it won a million other things at Critics' Choice and Golden Globes. So this movie was very, very well received uh, in that year. So hooray for Whiplash in 2014. Yeah. Um, so I did some research and pulled a few quotes here. Um, <laughs> I do not pay for a lot of uh, the main newspapers. So there were certain quotes that I liked. And I was like, oh, I want to read this whole article. And then it said, you have to pay for a subscription to read <laughs> this that. article. So I was like, I all mean, right. Support your local journalists, you know. But also <laughs> they deserve to be paid for their work. But it's also annoying when you just want to grab a quote. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I pulled some from other places that are not fully uh, complete because I couldn't actually read the whole article. (laughs) But um, so this first one comes from Emma Myers at IndieWire. And she said, while the film derives its title from the particularly intimidating piece of music, Andrew is forced to sight read on his first day. It also provides an accurate description of the frenzied viewing experience, which culminates in a seismic final scene that overrides the film's minor flaws. Revealing both the dangers and payoffs of artistic ambition, Whiplash is sure to establish Chazelle as a directorial force to be reckoned with. I agree with all of those things, uh, which is why I chose that quote. Uh, And the next one is from Anne Hornaday at the Washington Post, and she says... At its best, Whiplash conveys with pungent detail the striving of young people eager to make their bones in a Manhattan that's as foul and forbidding as it is seductive. I love that quote. I think mm-hmm. it's very well written. And uh, yeah, it yeah, I just think that's a great, great quote. Yeah, that phrasing, foul and forbidding as it is seductive, is mm-hmm. interesting. Because we, especially considering we don't see a whole lot of Manhattan, you know, so much of this movie takes place in 
kind of, um, you know, padded rehearsal rooms and on stages and things like that. Uh, but there are some some really beautifully lit scenes of him as he's walking back to his apartment really late at night or super early in the morning for a rehearsal. And it does, it is a really, it does create this sort of environment that is, you know, it's, it's just a place for people to kind of reside in while they pursue their dreams, which are bound up in these really claustrophobic rooms. You know, it's, it's not the place of sort of dreams and magic. It's very much a, um, yeah, I guess forbidding place in some ways. I don't yeah, know. I think it's I think it's kind of touching on like not necessarily the fictional world of Whiplash, but the real world because a lot of people they go to New York to pursue their music dreams. Like New York, it's kind of like L.A. is the seductive place for making movies. New York is kind of the seductive place for young mm-hmm. musicians. I mean, I think Juilliard is in uh in New York, mm-hmm. if not Manhattan. I don't know if it's in Manhattan, but um. Yeah, so I would imagine a lot of people get seduced into going to New York to pursue their music dreams. Um, but yeah, anyway, I uh, love that quote. I think it's really, really interesting. I like the phrasing. Um, but yeah, so for me, in terms of what about this movie moved me and has stuck with me, um, I think, you know, like I said, obviously this movie stuck with me. I hadn't seen it in 10 years and I still wanted to talk about it um, almost 10 years, I guess. Um, I think what really stuck with me initially was just kind of the, I just remember just the tension and the filmmaking, which is why I wanted to watch this again. I just remembered it being such a, such an emotional experience of just feeling, wow, this is tension that I have not really felt in such a nonstop way really ever. And so I wanted to kind of revisit that and see if I would have the same experience. Um, I didn't have exactly the same experience because I, you know, was watching it with new eyes and and picked up on different things. But so I guess for me, what's going to stick with me going forward is just kind of the the existential questions that this movie asks. I think that I just love how this I love films in general that ask really important questions and don't provide answers. I think that uh, a movie that gets you thinking but doesn't tell you how to think is really, um, really a unique, a unique thing. And so. Yeah, that's I think what's going to stick with me about this movie just kind of the the existential questions that it asked and also just Damien Chazelle's story with this. So inspiring. So, yeah. What about you, Geneva? Yeah. If yeah, anything. Very, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, very similar that this this fits in the the theme of like I said movies I really like and have stuck with me for a long time of movies that are about the question of purpose and um creating meaning in life, um, attempting to create art and the motivations behind what you create, how you create it, um, the desire for greatness, things like that. So yeah, I think I'll be thinking about it for a long time. Awesome. I'm so glad that you liked it. I, (laughs) yeah, this movie is great. Um, yeah. So, uh, speaking of great movies, what are we discussing next week? Yes, I am so excited about next week's movie. I have no idea <laughs> what Tatum is going to think about it. Um, but this is a movie that I rewatch all the time and I really love. And it is very different <laughs> thematically and plot-wise from what we're talking about today. But next week, we are going to be covering the 1944 film noir, Laura, starring Jean Tierney. And yeah, I'm very excited. It's it's going to be interesting. I uh, have not seen it. So 
I actually have no idea what the movie is even about. So like don't literally, look it up. Just literally zero blind. I, I don't even know. I, I know nothing about this movie other than that it's called Laura. And apparently, because you just told me, it's made in 1944. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening to our Whiplash episode, which kind of turned into uh tatum and geneva just talking about their personal lives <laughs> um hopefully it wasn't boring uh feel free to sit on on our therapy sessions anytime <laughs> many um, more to come i'm sure yes uh okay well uh until next week bye you guys bye Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Karishin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Mm-hmm.